can be seated. Such a beautiful song. The words are, are very meaningful. Good morning. morning. Happy to see each one of you here today in the house of the Lord. As you can see from your bulletin, um, today we're going to be starting a new series on the book of Ruth. And I've titled it, The Road to the Redeemed. Um, because of the story that's actually told in this, in this book. Within the pages of the Old Testament is found one of, these, one of the greatest short stories that's ever written. And it's the story of Naomi and her relatives. But it's a reflection of God's great plan for mankind. And as we just sang in this song about these eternal truths that are reflected in the word of God that we can understand what God is speaking to us throughout the Word of God. And, and I hope that in this series, as we see God's great plan for mankind, we can see how this little story of Ruth falls in line with what God is trying to express in the whole Bible. In this story, we find failure, discouragement, calamity, grief, all in the life of Naomi, But it's surpassed by favor, grace, love, forgiveness, redemption, and hope. And it's a beautiful story. And if we look at God's plan for mankind throughout all of, from eternity past to eternity in the future, and we see God's heart in creating Adam and Eve and creating mankind and sending Jesus into the world to die for our sins and grant us redemption, And we see God's heart and mind, his plan for mankind. We see how he works sovereignly and providentially within our lives to transform us and to shape us. And in this small story in the book of Ruth, we can see all of these beautiful themes, these larger themes found in the Bible, all summarized in this beautiful short story in the book of Ruth, a small book that has only four chapters. And we can see how God works in Ruth's life and in Naomi's life, but translate that as well to our lives, how in our messes, in the mistakes that we make, in our wrong decisions, yet God's greatness is at work in our lives. The great God is working a great work in maybe seemingly ordinary lives, as we see, in a sense, some ordinary lives found in this story. And this is a story for people who wonder, where is God When things are not going well? Where is God's blessing when grief is strong? Where is faith when tragedy strikes? Where is God's presence when hope is lost? And we're going to try to deal with each chapter in the next four weeks. We're just going to try to go chapter by chapter. So today we're going to deal with chapter one. And as we read already, uh, Ruth chapter one, we get a little idea of what's starting. But um, the author of this book is unknown. And this book was possibly written around the time of King David or after King David because once we get to chapter 4, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but once we get to chapter 4, we'll see um, the climax of this story and actually the birth of uh, the coming king of Israel. But before we actually get into the book of Ruth, we actually need to go back one um, verse to the last verse in the book of Judges, okay? Because Ruth takes place, uh, the story of Ruth takes place in the time of the judges. This was before Israel had any kings. And this ver- the last verse in the book of Judges is Judges chapter 21 
and verse 25. And in, in, in that verse it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay? There was, it was a time of the judges for about 400 years, a 400 year period. Israel would sin. Their enemies would come to conquer them. And then they would repent. God would raise up a judge to deliver them. And God would help them. And we see this process going over and over and over again. But at the same time, we see that everyone was doing what they wanted to do in their own eyes. People were making their own decisions based on what they thought was right, not what was actually commanded of by God. And in the midst of this dark time in Israel's history, we see God still working. And as we progress in this book, we'll see the hand of God working in this, in this story. And if there's just one thing, if I can tell you just one thing that I want you to get out of this book or out of this whole series, if there's just one thing that you leave with out of this whole series, not just for today, but that in the midst of failure, grief, pain, darkness, sadness, loss, God is planning in love for you. If there's anything that you get from this whole series, if there's anything that you take away, take this away. That in the midst of your hardest time, in the midst of your failures, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst, in the midst of your calamity, in the midst of your so- sadness and darkness, God sovereignly is still planning in love for you. To bring about his beautiful, magnificent, glorious purpose in your life. And that's not something small, and it's not something insignificant. God is planning in love for you. This, this small book in the, in the Bible, Zephaniah, it's a small little book, but Zephaniah 3 verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst. That means God is with you. A mighty one who will save. God is with you to save you. And he will rejoice over you with gladness. He's rejoicing over you. He's planning in love for you. He says, it says here, he will quiet you by his love. That means when you get stressed out, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know the next step to take, it says here, he'll quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you. I like this, Keisha. With loud singing. Not quiet singing. God is there and he's singing loud about you. Just like we lift up our voices and praise God and worship the Lord. And we sing out to God in gratitude to him. He is singing in love over us because I just picture God in heaven and he's like twiddling his thumbs and he's like, oh, look what I'm going to do for them. They don't know. They have no idea what blessing I have in store for them. They don't know what I'm planning for their lives. And he's just waiting to bless us. He's waiting to provide for us. He's waiting to deliver us. He's waiting to do great things for us because God is planning in love for us. And if there's anything that we can understand or see in this book of Ruth, if there's anything that we can draw out from here, is that God is planning in love in the most difficult situations of our lives. Don't lose hope. Don't be discouraged. You know, there's a story about a a king and his friend. Maybe you might have heard this story. The king and his friend, they grew up together as boys, and they were good friends, and... uh, this friend of the king, he had a little quirk, is that he always saw the good in every situation. So in whatever happened, he would always say, this is good. And he always saw the goodness in whatever situation, good or bad. And so one day, the king and his friend, they were out hunting and they were, they were looking to find some, some uh, uh, animals to shoot. 
And all of a sudden, the gun backfired, and the king lost his thumb. And his hand was bleeding, and his thumb was gone, and he was in great pain. And his friend said, oh, this is good. And the king got so upset, and he got so angry. What do you mean this is good? I lost my thumb. I'm bleeding. He's in so, I'm in so much pain. And so the, when, you know, when they got back, the king threw his friend in, in prison. And because he was so angry, he was so upset at him. Sometime later, the king went out hunting again by himself. But this time, he was caught by some cannibals. And these cannibals came, and they tied him up, and they wanted to eat him. But these were superstitious cannibals, too. So as he was tied up and he was waiting there, they noticed that he was missing a thumb. And they thought, well, we can't eat this guy. He's not whole. So they, 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 they untied him and they let him go. And the king was so grateful. He was so happy. And he was thinking, wow, this is so good. And then he remembered his friend who was in prison. Oh, what did I do to my friend? He went to the prison and he talked to his friend. He said, I'm so sorry that I threw you in prison. And he told him the whole story of what happened. He said, I'm so sorry that I threw you in prison. And the friend said, ah, this is good that I was in prison. And the king said, How, what do you mean it's good? I threw you in prison. You've been here all this time. The friend said, if I was not in prison, I'd be with you. And they would have eaten me. <laughs> And so the king, the friend, saw the good even in a bad situation. And I wonder how many of us in our lives, when we go maybe through prison experiences and difficult times, can we still see the hand of our sovereign God working providentially for us for our good? Amen? In, uh, which, I just want to uh, just divide up this chapter for you. We're just going to look at a few of these sections. Verses 1 to 5, we're going to see the misery of Naomi. Verses 6 to 14, we're going to see the hopelessness and bitterness of Naomi, or what I like to just call Naomi's pity party. Okay? Verses 15 to 18, the beauty of Ruth. Verses 19 to 21, the return home. And verse 22 this is the best part. I wish I could just skip over to this right now, but we've got to wait till the end of the message. But verse 22, where I get the title of this message today, Hope Rising from Calamity. And so if you look at the first part of this, uh, if you look at the first part of this uh, section here in Ruth 1, verses 1 to 5, we see the misery of Naomi. And we see it in six different things that came one upon the other, one upon the other, and it became like a snowball. I don't know about you. I wonder how many of you have gone through experiences where it's just been one bad thing after another bad thing. It's like one bad thing happens, another bad thing happens. One person loses their job, another person loses their job. And then, then a sickness comes, and then this comes, and then that comes. And that's what happened to Naomi. It was just like one bad thing after another. The first thing, there was a famine in the land. They were in Bethlehem. Bethlehem actually means house of bread. It should have been a place of prosperity, but they were going through a hard time. Maybe they were going through starvations. They were going through hardships. And so this was the first problem that they had. It was a famine that was, that was taking place. And maybe in your spiritual life today, you feel like you're going through a famine. Maybe you feel like you're going through some dryness in your spiritual life. Maybe you feel like God is so far away from you. And here in this story, they were going through a famine, and, and uh, uh, Elimelech and Naomi, they decided to leave that place. 
They decided to leave the house of bread, Bethlehem. They decided to leave the promised land of Israel and go into a strange land. They left, in one sense we can say, God's presence. In the days of, in the days of Isaac, we read uh, Isaac the son of Abraham, we read that there was a famine in the land. And Isaac was looking to provide for his family. It says here in Genesis 26, verse 1 and 2, Now there was a famine in the land beside the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Look at what God tells Isaac in the time of famine. Isaac is wanting to move to another place. He's wanting to provide for his family. And God tells Isaac, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. God gave Isaac specific instructions. There was a famine going on. And God tells Isaac, stay here. I will bless you. I will keep you. If you read the following verses, we don't have time to read everything. He says, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. The blessing of Abraham will come upon you. And then a few verses down, it's beautiful because it says in verse 12 and 13, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same, there's a famine going on. He reaped in that same year, what? A hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. There was a famine in the land of of, of Israel during the days of Naomi, and they decided to leave. It was one bad decision. Number two, they went to the pagan land of Moab. Now, the Moabites were not the friends of Israel. They did not help Israel. And God had told the the children of Israel, you are not to mingle with the nations around about you. You're not to mingle with these other heathen nations and and, and commit their practices and do things that they do. But they chose, out of all places, they chose to go to Moab. In Deuteronomy 23 and verse 3 and 4, we read here what God says. He says, no Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. This is not talking about every single nation, but specifically here about the Moabites, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. So because of this bad experience that happened, they were not to associate themselves with the Moabites. And here, Elimelech and Naomi, they have a bright idea. How many know sometimes when we have bright ideas, they're not always so bright, right? And they have this bright idea, I'm going to go to Moab out of all places. Number two. Then we come to number three. This is just snowballing now. They get to Moab, and what happens? Elimelech dies. You know, the name Elimelech means God is, my God is king. And in a time when there was no king, in a time when, of the judges when everyone did that was right in their own eyes, Elimelech, he did what he thought was right in his own eyes. And he took his family to Moab and he dies there. And Naomi probably is thinking, why did we come here? Look at what has happened now. Number four. Then on top of that, Naomi's two sons take Moabite women for wives. They weren't even supposed to go to Moab, first of all. They weren't even supposed to mingle with the Moabite people. Now their children are taking Moabite wives. And now there's a mingling that's going on. Number five, the daughter-in-laws were barren. For ten years we see there's no children. They had no children. Now you have to understand the culture of that day. The culture of that day that if you were a woman and if you were barren, it was like a curse. It was, there was something wrong. You were despised. You were looked down upon. And for 10 years, there was no blessing of children in their lives. 
And it just seemed like it was one failure for Ruth, for Naomi. It just seemed like it was one failure after another failure after another failure. It was just one thing after another thing. It was just hopeless. And to cap it all off, number six, Naomi's two sons die. They both die. And now Naomi is left with her two daughter-in-laws. Can you relate to this situation? Are you going through a calamity? Are you going through a hardship? Are you going through a difficult pathway in your life where it's just been snowballing and things have been getting worse and worse and you're hoping for something to happen, but it just feels like it's one bad thing after another bad thing? One sickness, sickness after another sickness, one loss of job after another loss of job, one problem in the family after another problem in the family. And there are these terrible things that are happening. Maybe that's the situation you're facing. But remember what I told you from the beginning. In the midst of our darkest situations, God is planning in love for us. Don't lose hope. In the midst of the most terrible situations of our lives, remember that God is planning in love. And as we read the story of of Naomi and Ruth, and we see all these hardships that they're going through, I wish I can just skip over to chapter 4 and tell you how the story ends. You can read it at home, right? And before you come next week, I just want to encourage you just to take some time, maybe read Ruth chapter 2 before you come next week, just in preparation so that we won't take time to read it. Um, But you'd come prepared for that. Chapter 2. So in in, in this story, it's just one bad thing after another. But God is still sovereignly working. God is still moving. God is still blessing. Now we get to verses 6 to 14, the hopelessness and the bitterness of Naomi, or this big pity party, I can say, that Naomi is having. And Naomi here, from, in verse 6, Naomi hears, this, hears the news that back in Israel, there's food again. The famine is over. And so Naomi is thinking, okay, I'm going to go and return now to Israel because there's a blessing that's there. And I just want to sidetrack just for a second Because sometimes we can be like Naomi, always just seeking after blessings and trying to escape the hardships. Sometimes in our lives, we're we're living in a generation that's a give me generation. Give me, give me, give me. And sometimes our prayers are just like that. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. And we get so consumed with ourselves that we lose track of what God is trying to do in our lives. And my challenge to each of you today as we're in 2017 and we're starting the year in January, what is the motivation of our lives? Look at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 8 to 10. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. You know, sometimes we go through hardships, we go through calamities, and we're just asking God, God, bless me. But we lose track of what God is actually doing in our lives. The eternal work of grace, the eternal work of transformation that he does in us as we wait on him. And Paul says here, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness which is my own that comes from the law, but that, but that which, is, which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now look at what Paul says here. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 
What is the motivation of our lives? Are we just seeking after blessings? Is that what our whole prayer is about? Or are we willing to follow the Lord? How do we make decisions in our lives? Naomi, going through a hard time in Israel, famine in the land, let's get out of here, let's go to Moab. It doesn't matter where I'm going, let's just get out of here, I'm going to go to Moab. I hear about back in Israel, there's food there, okay, let's get out of here because it's been too hard for me here. God has dealt very hard with me. The hand of God is against me. It's bitter for me, so let me go back to Israel now. And her own motivation is that, I want something good. And the sad thing is that, that Naomi is always viewing things in the negative way. She could not see the hand of God working. She did not see the glimmer of hope that God was giving in various times in her life. And sometimes we struggle in that way as well. We see the glass half empty instead of the glass half full. We are constantly looking at the bad things that are happening in our lives, the struggles, the difficulty, the pain, and the problem, instead of seeing God's blessing and provision, God's grace and favor, God's hand upon our lives. We are so consumed by the negativity in our lives, and that's what happened to Naomi, and she said, God's hand is against me, I am bitter, it's a bitter experience, but she lost track of God's blessing and provision in her life. In Ruth chapter 1 in verse 13, it's, she says, she's, she's talking to her, to, her, uh, to her daughters-in-law because she's trying to send them back. And they said, no, no, we'll stay with you. And Ruth says, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. They're trying to stay with her. They're trying to help her. They're trying to support her. But what does, what does uh, Naomi say? No, 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 it's, the hand of God is so hard against me. This is such a bitter experience. Please don't stay with me. And it's a very difficult situation that Naomi is going through. And I just want to ask you today, what are the blessings in your life? You know, there's a song that says, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You know, it's so easy for us to fall into this trap of just always looking at the negativity. But God is working in our lives. Now, when we get to verses 11 to 13, I just want to touch on this because it's something that's very important. It's something called the Kingsman Redeemer or the Close Relative Redeemer. and something that we're going to look at as we go through this study. But it's introduced here in chapter 1, so I just want to introduce it as well. And what it is is that if somebody uh, were to die, leaving a widow without any children, then their brother or close relative would marry the widow... And have children, and the first child would be called by the name of the brother that died. It was a custom in Israel. It was something that they did. I know it sounds a little strange for us, right? But that's what they did. And so because Naomi's husband died, uh, uh, sorry, Ruth's husband died, and they had no children, Ruth was eligible to marry one of the other brothers. But there were no other brothers. So then it would go to one of the near relatives, And this was a custom that was there. But in these verses, we won't take time to read it over again. We read it at at the beginning. But in these verses, Naomi is telling Ruth and Ophrah, telling her daughters-in-law, look, the hand of God is against me. I have no other children for you to marry. Why, Why do you want to come with me? But what did Naomi forget? Now I'm jumping a few chapters down. But there's a man named Boaz... I'm giving you away a secret, okay? 
There's a guy named Boaz that will come to see. And he marries Ruth. And they live happily ever after. Really, it happens. No fairy tale. That's what happens. But Naomi, in the bitterness of her situation, totally forgets about Boaz. And actually, there's even another relative that's even closer. And all Naomi says, look, I don't have any other children. Stay away from me. Go back home. She doesn't even look at the positive that could happen. She doesn't even look at, she doesn't even see the glimmer of hope that's there. Which later on we will see. She's totally forgotten about Boaz. And Naomi is still looking at the glass half empty. And missing the glimpses of God's goodness towards her. She's not seeing the hand of God that's there. And she can only concentrate on the bitterness. And the experiences in her life are blinding her from God's providence, sovereignty, and provision. And I wonder how many of us are making the same mistake. Where our bitterness, our our trials, our difficulties are blinding us from seeing the good hand of God working in our lives. We concentrate on so many bad things that's happening day after day. This problem at my workplace, this sickness and this thing. And I'm not denying that these things happen. But in the midst of all of these bitter experiences, grief and pain, is it blinding us from seeing God planning in love for us as we read that verse? The Lord your God is in your midst. He is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you in his love. He'll sing loudly over you. You're something to sing about. Something to sing about loudly as well. But in the midst of this bitterness, Naomi totally forgets all of these things. And misses the glimpses of God's goodness. Misses the signs of God's sovereignty and God's providence in her life. In verse 20 she says, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means sweet or pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very Bitterly with me. You know, bitterness spreads. And when we become bitter at our trials, there's a lot of problems that go with it. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Okay, let's go to verse 15 to 20, because this is the beauty of Ruth. The beauty of Ruth, the beautiful, upright, kind, loving, faithful, and might I add, godly character of Ruth just shines forth here. Naomi and Ruth, they're both in the same situation, but maybe Ruth's situation is a little bit worse. She was a young widow and barren, and now she decides to help and support Naomi. She's hitching her trailer to a seemingly hopeless situation and to a woman that's very bitter that it seems like nothing good is going to come out. And in verse 16 and 17, these are probably the most famous verses in this book, often quoted maybe at weddings and other occasions. But it says here, but Ruth said, she's saying this to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. 
Now, you might hear something similar to this maybe in a wedding vow, right? Maybe a husband saying this to a wife, a wife saying this to her husband. But a daughter-in-law saying this to her mother-in-law? Let me know if, you know if that situation has happened in your family. But can you see the commitment, the covenant? Naomi does not give her any hope. Naomi says, look, I don't have any more children. She didn't bother to tell her about the other relatives. Naomi painted the worst possible situation for Ruth, and still Ruth clung to Naomi. The beauty of Ruth. She was ready to go to a strange land, to learn a new language, a new people, to be considered an outsider, a minority, despised as a Gentile, living in perpetual widowhood and childless. And she added, where you die, I will die. Naomi was going to die long before Ruth. But when Naomi dies, Ruth is saying, where you die, I'm going to stay here in this foreign land, despised as a minority, an outcast, barren, childless widow. And I will die here as well. Can you see the commitment? And I wonder if, that, if our commitment to God just pales in comparison to that. Our devotion to God, our dedication to God, our covenant with God. How many times, just for the slightest problem, we break it? How many times, for just the slightest trial, it becomes nothing? And here Ruth says as well, your God will be my God. Up until this point, whatever we've read, Naomi has painted the worst picture of the God of Israel. She has not said anything good about him. She left Israel because it was a famine. There was no blessing there. Her husband died. God wasn't blessing them with children. And Naomi saying, God is dealing hard with me. God is giving me a bitter experience. And then Ruth comes and says, your God will be my God. I think we'd probably say, well, I don't want your God. Look at the life you're living. But can you see this dedication? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe those 10 years of marriage. Maybe she learned something from her husband about the God of Israel. But you know what's interesting to me? That in the southern United States, during the times when slavery was dominant, that these slaves who were persecuted, oppressed, in calamity, and in hardships, embraced the religion of their masters. It it, it blows my mind. But I tell you, that is transforming love. That is the grace of God. How they could embrace Christianity, even in the midst of such hardship. Verses 19 to 21, the return home. Let's go very quickly. They recognize Naomi as she comes back. And we read these verses. We won't read again. Verses 20 and 21. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me sweet or pleasant. Call me Mara. It's bitter. And she says here, I went away full, I came back empty. Now, if I was Ruth, I'd be terribly offended. You went away full and you came back empty? Like, who am I? I've sacrificed my whole life. I'm coming back with you. Look at the covenant that I'm in. And you're just saying, I'm coming back empty? But see the beauty of Ruth. And so that's what I'm saying. Uh, Naomi, she doesn't see the goodness of God. She says, I've gone away full and I've come back empty. And she's totally blind to the blessing of Ruth. Totally blind to God's provision 
for her in Ruth. And as we'll see in these chapters to come, Ruth is going to be the fountain of blessing for Naomi. Because of Ruth, Naomi's life is going to be totally transformed. But she comes back to Bethlehem and she says, I've come back empty. I don't have anything. Oh yeah, this lady behind me, I don't know about her, but I'm empty. But Ruth is going to transform this whole story. But Naomi is still blind to see that. And I wonder how many times in our lives we make the same mistake. But that's a story for another day. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Naomi, she forgets the stories of of like Joseph, who was betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown in a prison. And he said in Genesis 50 verse 20, you meant it for evil, telling his brothers, you meant things for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And how about Job? In the, in the book of Job, we read about Job. He had so many blessings and wealth and a wonderful family and comforts of this life. And he lost all of those things. And his children were killed. And his possessions were taken from him. And sickness clung to his body. But Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of hardships, in the midst of difficulties, dear people of God, can we see God's sovereign hand working in our lives? Can we see God planning in love for us? Can we see God working things out for our good and for his glory? That is how God wants to work in us. I love this poem. It's called When God Wants to Drill a Man. It's written by an unknown author. But it says, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man. When God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part. When he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man. That all the world might be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him. Into trial shapes of clay that only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with mighty acts induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. One man of God said God cripples us to crown us. And breaks us to bless us. That's what happened to Naomi. There's a man, his name is Joseph Scriven. He lived about 150 years ago. The day before his marriage, his fiancée drowned. He moved to Canada after that. And sometime later, he got engaged to another girl. And she got sick and died before their wedding day. He received news one day from his mother who was in Europe that she was very sick. And he wrote a poem. And in the midst of, this, of his great hurt and brokenness, he wrote this poem to his mother that became this famous hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And this last verse 
verse 22. Now I know verse 16 and 17 get all the glory. You know, everyone likes those verses. And they, oh yeah, that's the beauty of Ruth and her dedication and commitment. But I'm going to tell you, verse 22 is my favorite verse in this chapter. It's an amazing verse in this chapter. It's a beautiful verse in this chapter. It talks about hope. Y'all are not as excited as I am, I see. (laughs) Verse 22. Let's read it then. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Isn't that an amazing verse? No, you all don't see it like I see it. This is such a great verse. This is hope overflowing and hope abounding. Don't be blind like Naomi was blind to see the hand of God in this verse. I'll help you out a little, okay? this This is like in Psalm when it says, my cup runs over. This is cup running over. Look at this. There's so much hope in this one verse. What does it say? So Naomi returned. Restoration. Naomi is coming back. Aren't you hopeful for that? Do you want God to restore something in your life? Naomi returned. That's number one. Number two. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Ruth is with her. The whole story now is going to unfold from this fountain of blessing found in Ruth. Ruth is with her. She's not alone. Number three, who returned from the country of Moab. Thank God we're done with Moab. That's it. Moab is finished. Oh, there's new hope. And they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread. They came to Bethlehem, the house of bread. There's hope there in Bethlehem. It was the beginning of barley harvest. I want to ask you today, what is your barley harvest? We're going through so many trials and difficulties and problems like Naomi was going through. But I want to ask you today, where is the sovereign hand of God, his providence, his favor resting upon you? Can you see your barley harvest? It's just the beginning. You might not notice it right now. It's just the beginning. They came back to this great hope. It's the beginning of barley harvest. It's an exciting time. We have to wait till chapter 2 to hear the rest. But it's an exciting time. The best is yet to come. And I'll just close with this verse. In Job chapter 14, verse 7 to 9, it says, For there is hope for a tree. I think these verses just describe Naomi. For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease. Though its roots grow old in the earth, and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud, and put out branches like a young plant. Maybe like Naomi, you've been cut down. Maybe like Naomi, you've lost hope. Maybe like Naomi, your root has grown old. It's like a stump. It's ready to die. But what does it say here? It doesn't say when you pour water, it's going to sprout again. 
It doesn't say you water it nicely, you put some nice soil, you put some of those, you know, quick grow soil around it and it's going to go. No. It just says at the scent of water. At the very scent of water. Oh, there's a barley harvest that's coming. Can you see it in your life? In the midst of all the trials and calamities, can you see the barley harvest? Can you smell the scent of water? Can you smell the scent of water? We're not looking for a flood here. Just a little scent. Naomi returns. She's cut down. She says, the hand of God is bitter against me. The hand of God is hard against me. But I see the barley harvest. I smell the water is coming. There is hope that rises from calamity. There is hope that rises from sickness. There is hope that rises from pain. There is hope that rises in every situation. Why? Because God is planning in love for you and for me. God bless you.